Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, Michael. Good morning, church. In the time that we have together, that is two Sundays, as Michael mentioned, I will endeavor to address the current state of the church. So when I speak about the church, I'm speaking about the wider body of Christ. We are a very small part of the church. And it is our responsibility to pray for all saints, to pray for the entire church, not only in the city, but also in our nation, as we go through turbulent times. I believe that the church has the key and the solution to the problems we are facing. Not the politicians, but the church. And so I will endeavor to address the current state of the church as the Lord revealed it to me through His Word and the various challenges we face as a church in regards to this present state. So we will look at areas of the church at large which need to be addressed and speak prophetically by the Spirit into those areas. Now, if you find yourself challenged in any way this morning by what I share, or even rebuked in any way, please don't get mad at me. I am only the messenger boy. Okay? Can we settle this from now <laughs> <laughs> but rather ask the Lord to help you make the necessary changes or adjustments that you need to make in your own personal walk with God and in your own life. Are we okay with that? Praise the Lord. And so I want to let you know from the start of this discourse that I will not apologize for making you uncomfortable. Because I am commissioned by the Lord, I believe, to bring you truth. And truth always challenges us. And one of the things that we need to pray for is that, Lord, give me courage to face the truth and allow the truth to change me. Amen? So truth will challenge us and hopefully change your life for the better. James Garfield said, truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. You know the rich young ruler came to Jesus seeking truth. You remember that? He knelt before Jesus. He said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But when Jesus gave him the truth, the Word says he went away miserable and sorrowful. Hello. 
Sometimes we seek truth, but when the Lord gives us truth, we walk away. It's challenging. Sometimes it requires sacrifice and service. Paul instructed Timothy in his ministry, and listen to what he said to him as he writes to him and gives him an instruction concerning his ministry. And we read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. He says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn the ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, I want us to read this from the Amplified Translation as well. It just amplifies it. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Whether it is convenient or inconvenient. Whether it is welcome or unwelcome. You as preacher of the word are to show people in what way the lives are wrong and convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not tolerate, endure sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number, chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold, and will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fiction. You know, why did Paul instruct Timothy with such strong words? Because, he said, the time will come when people will no longer endure to hear the truth, to receive sound doctrine, but will turn the ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know, my brothers, my sisters, honestly, I believe the time Paul spoke about is right here. It has come upon us. When church people are heaping up for themselves teachers who will preach to them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And we see it all over. Crowds will gather around such teachers who will make them feel good and satisfy the itching ears. Just because a preacher or a teacher is popular or gathers a crowd of people, that doesn't mean he preaches sound doctrine. Are you listening to me? I want to make that very clear. A number of years ago, I had an encounter with the Lord. 
It was a tremendous encounter that shook my very being. I was in the United States. I was seeking the Lord earnestly with prayer and fasting. And the Lord appeared to me by the Spirit and showed me from His Word some of the abominations that are taking place in His own church. He showed me how many ministers of the gospel are merchandising His Word for profit and how they deceive His people by not preaching the whole counsel of God. Well, God addressed this condition even in the days of Jeremiah the prophet when he called out those who deceived his people. Listen to what the Lord says in, Jer in Jeremiah 23, verse 21 and 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall befall you, shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from the evil way and from the evil of their doings. See, the Lord says the true prophet will stand in the counsel of the Lord and will hear the word of the Lord and deliver that word. He will not speak out of his own visions, out of his own inspiration, but what he hears, he speaks before he stands before God as God communicates his counsel, his wisdom, and his word to his people. And when that happens, he says, people repent and turn from the wicked ways. Now, more than ever before, we need to test. We need to test every word we hear and judge it through the Spirit. We need to test the fruit of those words, what they produce. The Bible says that the true word of the Lord compares it to a hammer that strikes the rock. It also compares it to fire that produces in us godly repentance in the hearts and lives of his people and not just an emotional hype. That's what the true word of the Lord will produce. Will bring a fruit of repentance. Will cause the people to turn from their evil ways back to God and worship the true and living God. It will produce lasting change in the lives of those who receive that word by causing them to turn back to God. That's what the true word of the Lord will do. That is what the prophetic ministry does. Calls people back to God, back to the true and living God, forsaking all idols, forsaking all other things, 
and loving God with all of our hearts, our minds, our strength, and all that we have and all that we are. That is the ministry of the prophet. Amen. You see, as we look at the state of the church today, what do we see? We see lukewarmness. We see compromise in our churches today. And yet, by and large, it is tolerated and accepted as normal behavior. Hello? We receive that kind of the state as something that is really normal in the Christian life. It is no longer rebuked. It is not challenged. And you know why? Because pastors are afraid that if they deliver that correction or that rebuke, people will walk away and go down the road to another church. For fear that the people will leave, and when they leave, what do they do? They take the money with, and then the pastor has no salary, so he shies away from confronting that which needs to be confronted in the lives of God's people. Hello. The church in our day, speaking about the church primarily in the West, has the tendency to be far more passive rather than being active in the work of the Lord. Most believers, they believe that if they show up on Sunday morning at church and pay the tithes, they have done their part. Hello? I go to church. I pay my tithes. What more do you want? Hello? <laughs> you know, most believers' mentality runs that way. In fact, they even want a badge. This passiveness on our part, I believe that it has cost the kingdom of God and its advancement a great deal. It has cost us dearly. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a stronghold in the mind of the believer. Passive, I believe, and lukewarm believers are the cause the church has failed to make any inroads into our communities and cities, winning the lost for Jesus. When was the last time you led someone to the Lord? When did you share your faith with someone? You were so excited about Jesus that you couldn't help but speak about him at work, at the store, and leading someone to the cross. Amen. I remember when the Lord first touched me, I couldn't help but speak. People tried to shut me up, but they couldn't. When you are enthusiastic about your relationship with the Lord, that's all you're going to be speaking about. You're not going to be talking about politics, the weather, or anything else. You're going to be speaking about what's in your heart. 
And if our hearts are filled with love for Jesus, we will continually speak about Him. And we will not be afraid to share our faith with those that do not know Him. Hello? When we lose our passion for Christ and His kingdom, we are no longer the light of the world or the salt of the earth. And as a result, we sink into a state of what the Bible calls lukewarmness and spiritual apathy. Well, listen to what Jesus said if you don't believe me. Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trembled underfoot by men. You know, in many places around the world today, Christianity has been trampled underfoot by humanism, secularism, and false religions. The churches in Asia Minor, Jesus addressed so long ago through the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, are no longer in existence today. In 1923, Smyrna was overrun by the Turks, where most of the churches were in the days that John wrote that, those seven epistles. They, they've been trampled underfoot by Islam. They're no longer in existence. You go today at Ephesus, and all you see are the ruins of what used to be. Yes. Five out of the seven churches that were addressed in the book of Revelation were told to repent. Five out of the seven. Amen. You see, there is a popular teaching out today that says we no longer need to repent since we've been born again. If repentance is no longer necessary for a New Testament believer, as some would have us believe, why then is it referred to in the New Testament so many times? Why? Most believers, and I say most, are engrossed today with the daily struggles the struggles to keep the, the, the head above water. They are engrossed in their own dreams, in their own ambitions, that they have no room in their hearts, no room whatsoever for the work of God, especially in reaching the lost and advancing the kingdom of God. When you yourself are struggling to keep your head above water, you have no time to think of anybody else but yourself. Hello? Say amen or say oh me. <laughs> Jesus said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, 
and the desire for other things entering into the heart of the believer makes them unfruitful and ineffective. That's why the Word so often that is preached, that is ministered, does not bear fruit because it is sown among the cares, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things outside of the kingdom of God. Jesus said those are the thorns that choke the very life of God out of the believer. We need to change our attitude about the cares of this life. Jesus said, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear, what you will buy, what you will sell, where you're going to vacate next. But he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things that the world strives, steals, cheats, and lies to obtain, I will gladly give them to you. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. My son recently asked me, he said, Dad, I want you to write a book. I said, why? He said, I want you to leave a message behind for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. What is the one message that you would like to be remembered for, that you would like to leave behind for those who will come after you? It didn't take me long to recognize that one message, and that is, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things will be added to you. I say that not because it is written in Matthew 6.33. I say that because I have proved that verse. I've experienced it in my own life since the day I committed my life to Jesus 43 years ago. I have always endeavored to put the will of God above my own, above my wife's, above my kids. Lord, what is it you will? What do you want me to do? You know what? I have not sweated. I have not burned the midnight oil trying to make things happen. God has provided for me and my family more than what we need. And God is no respecter of persons. Amen. That's the message. I'm busy writing the book, Stephen. Seek first the kingdom of God. Teach your children, your loved ones, that it pays to serve God, it does not cost. And the price you pay in order to serve the Lord cannot be compared with the rewards and the blessings that comes after that. It pays to serve the Lord. It will cost you dearly if you don't put God first and His righteousness. It will show up sometime in your life. The cracks will show up either in your marriage or in your finances or in your other relationships or in your children. It will show up. 
It may take time, but you can be sure of that. If the foundation you're building on is not the kingdom of God and putting God first in your life, it will show up in your life and you will suffer the consequences of that decision. The church today, my brother, my sister, is in a very serious crisis and I don't know whether you realize it or not. And this crisis will determine the outcome of our future and the future of this nation. The church will determine that. The crisis will either bring us back to God with a repentant and a broken heart and really mean business with God, which will enable us again to regain our passion and primarily our first love for Jesus. Jesus, writing to the church in Ephesus, says to them, I know your works, I know your deeds. They're more than the first. I know you have discernment and you have tested false apostles and found them to be false. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. that burning love for Jesus. And I pray that this crisis will cause, will cause us to evaluate our own relationship with the Lord. Where are we? Where are you? And regain our passion and our first love. Or... It will eventually lead us further and further away from the purposes of God and His kingdom. And if I look at the state of the church today and I ask myself, what can I compare it with? What words can we use to describe the present state of the church? And every time I ask that question, I come back to the same, the same conclusion. And the words that describes much of the church today are found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through to 22. If you want to know what the church looks like today, the Word gives us a perfect picture. There has never been a time before where we have so much in our hands and yet we have so very little. Jesus writes through John, the revelator, and he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, 
and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The present-day church has fallen into materialism, worldliness, and lukewarmness. Many are in danger, even right now, of being spewed out of the Lord's mouth because He cannot do anything with them. They are neither hot or cold, and Jesus said, I wish you were one or the other. What do you usually spew out what you cannot digest? Amen. And the Lord spoke about three most important things the church needs. Listen carefully, please, because this is what you and I need. Gold refined in the fire, white garments, and eyesalve. Gold that is purified through fire, white garments, and eyesalve. Let's go through them one by one. The goal refers to faith that is being tested and tried through fiery trials. The faith, I believe, of the present-day church needs to go through some fiery trials for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Amen. Sometimes I pray that persecution will arise against the church <laughs> because that will purify us. Amen. Don't be afraid of the fire, my friends. You know, a number of years ago, I was going through a fiery trial, and the Lord said to me, Son, don't be afraid of the fire. The only thing that's going to burn is the things that the world has put upon you. That's all it burns. But it cannot touch you, the real you. Only that which the world has put upon you, it will be burned. Amen? Remember when they threw the three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace? The only thing that was burned, it was the ropes they tied them with. Amen? There's nothing like fire that purifies. <laughs> Malachi speaks of this purification by fire that is coming to the church. And some of you may be even going through that fiery trial. Listen to what Malachi says. Very, very relevant and revealing scripture. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his house, 
to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Question mark. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap, and he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Notice what the Scripture says. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. What does that tell you and me? There has to come a genuine seeking from the heart of the church. What do we seek? What are we seeking above all? Are we seeking the kingdom? Are we seeking God? Are we seeking His face? Are we seeking to know His will so that we can do it? Or are we seeking our own dreams, our own ambitions, and our own selfish ways? When the church begins to seek God with all of her heart, the Lord will show up. That's what Jeremiah says. And you shall seek me, and you will find me when? When you search for me with all of your heart. Is there a genuine seeking in your heart for God? Do you get up in the morning and the first thing you do before you do anything else, you want to spend time with God, you want to seek His face, you want to worship Him, you want to thank Him for who He is? Or do you run around and do other things and by the time you realize what's, there's no time left to seek God? Work is far more important. Children are far more important. Careers are far more important. Hello? The very fact that I'm bringing this message today, perhaps it's because you've been seeking God and crying out to Him to revive your soul. He says, when you seek me with all of your heart, you're going to find me. God is faithful to His Word. He will always do what He promises. If we meet the conditions, He will meet with us. Amen. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. When we, when we are awakened, spiritually speaking, and come to a place where we realize that the most important thing that we have in life is our relationship with the Lord Jesus. He is the most important person in our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. And we love Him far more than anything or anyone else in this world. Like the psalmist said, Lord, whom have I in the heavens but you? And there is none, he says, upon the earth that I desire but you and you alone. You see the hunger, the passion, the love in his soul for God. And then he cries out, my soul follows hard after you. We need to regain that passion. We've lost it. But thank God we can regain it. We can get back to it. 
And we can become a church that is alive unto God, that is on fire for God. And every time you come here because you're so in love with Jesus, so on fire for God, you're dragging another three, four people because you want them to hear the gospel. You care for them. You have compassion. Because you see them the way God sees them. You know, so often we look at a person and what do we see? The outward appearance. We see the clothes they wear, the houses they live in, the cars they drive, and we judge them by what they wear, where they live, what they drive, rather than looking through and seeing their soul that without Christ is lost forever in the darkness that Jesus called hell where the worm does not die. Do we see that? That's why he admonished the church. says, get eyesolf, put it on your eyes so that you may see what I see. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Perhaps the fire you're experiencing right now is in response to your seeking God and His presence. Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, when the Lord shows up in His temple, let me say this, He will not show up the way most of us expect Him to. You know, most people pray and they call out for revival and they expect the Lord to show up, heal all the sick, meet every need and all of that. But the Scripture says when He shows up, He's going to show up like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And that is why He asks the question, who can stand in the day of His appearing? Why did He ask that question? Because not many will stand. He will show up like a fire and like a, a soap. And he asks the question, who can endure the day of his coming? Wow, that's a frightening verse, that. When God showed up in the book of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. They literally dropped dead. Hmm. Now, he's not talking about the rapture of the church. He's talking about the Lord coming to his church and refining it and cleansing it from all her impurities. Beloved, let me remind you that Jesus is coming back for a church that is without spot and without wrinkle, the Bible says. He's coming back for a bride that is so madly in love with him. Hello? That's who he's coming back for. So what does that tell you? That before he comes on that dreadful day, he's going to come to purify the church before he takes her away. Amen. Jesus spoke of this fire and how he said, I long that it was already kindled. He speaks of that fire in Luke 12, 49. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. Remember when he said that? Have you ever read that in the Scriptures? 
He said, do you think I've come to put peace? I've come to bring division, he said. Mother will be against the daughter. Father will be against the son. When Jesus comes into your life, he separates you. Hello? And some of your loved ones may not agree. I mean, here in South Africa, we don't know really much about persecution. But where I come from in the Greek community that is so close like a cocoon, when you come to Christ, they disown you, they reject you, they excommunicate you. Even your parents will disown you. In some of these Muslim countries, once they come to Christ, they lose their family. They are buried. They no longer exist for them. Hello? But we know nothing about. It's easy to become a Christian in South Africa. It doesn't cost anything. Just come to church and say a prayer. <laughs> I recall the days when I was doing the work of an evangelist back in Zimbabwe and the fierce persecution that came against me and those who followed my ministry from the established hierarchy of the Orthodox Church. When the fire of persecution fell, our crowds thinned out very quickly. Mm -hmm. Only very few were able to stand on their faith. Most of them fell away, terrified, by the threats of the hierarchy. You listen to that man, I'll excommunicate you. You listen to that man, I'll not baptize your children. You listen to that man, I'll not marry you. I'll not bury you, the bishop said to them. So when they were faced with such fire, <laughs> no, this, this costs far too much. Let me go back where I came from. Hello. Only very, very few stood the test. And I wonder how many of our people today who profess faith in Christ will stand if persecution rose against the church in South Africa. Amen. How many of us will stand if we are called upon to sacrifice and to suffer for Christ and the gospel? Hello. Think about that. I believe that if the Lord appears as he promised, our churches will empty out, really, literally empty out, will be very thinned out. And let me ask you a question. Why would God gather a harvest of souls in these last days and bring them into a compromised church that is filled with worldliness and materialism. Think about that. Why are we not seeing salvations? The Bible says it is God who adds people to the church, not man. Hello? Think. What does he need to do first? before he brings the harvest. Hmm? Purify his church. Cleanse. Amen. You all so quiet. Please give me some inspiration, Lord. Many today have come 
to the church, but not to Christ. Many, not a few. And many others have come to Christ for the wrong reasons. Fix my problem. God will fix you. But the foundation is wrong. We don't come to Christ for what we can get. We come to Christ before He commands men everywhere to repent and because He's worthy of our worship. That's the true and the, and the secure foundation. You don't come to Christ for what you can get because there will come a day when you ask Him to do something for you and He's not going to do it. What are you going to do then? Like many have done. They get offended and they walk away. Why? Because God didn't deliver me from this fiery trial. And we've had examples. We've had examples of this. I prayed. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I served God. I went to church every Sunday. I supported the church all these years. And now look, God didn't answer me. God didn't get me out of my trial, out of my trouble. Therefore, I'm leaving. Hello? They get offended. What they fail to realize is that that fiery trial came so that you can examine your life, so that you can examine the foundations upon which you're building. And when you see, then you can turn. Amen. But instead of recognizing where we are, we justify our sin by saying to God, I've done everything you asked me to do. And now look, why are you not answering my prayer? Amen. And let me say this. I don't know where I'm going to finish it, but I need to finish it and pick up next week. Don't be impressed by the crowds, folks. Please. Jesus was never impressed by crowds. In fact, whenever a crowd gathered around him, he discouraged them. He would, he would deliberately say things to them that would cause them to be offended and leave. When he saw the crowds, he said, wait. He who comes after me must deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. Don't be too hurry to come follow unless you count the cost first. Amen. At another time, he said, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no life in you. And the Bible says, from that day, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. <laughs> Jesus discouraged the crowds. Why? Because many have come with the wrong motives. Many have come with the wrong reasons. And he didn't want them to come and then find out that is not what they were expecting and then realize, I don't have what it takes. That's why he said, count the cost first. Amen? What do you do when you, when, when you pray, you pray, you pray, and you pray for months and God doesn't answer your prayer? Will you still serve him? Will you still honor him? Amen. Job said, though you slay me yet, well, I trust you, O Lord. <laughs> Come what may, 
I'm not turning back. And I'm not going to be offended with you or with anyone. I'm going to keep my heart pure and clean regardless whether you answer my prayer, whether you don't, whether you do what I asked you, whether you don't. You are the Lord of my life, and I'm going to serve you. And even if you don't do one more thing in my life, you have already done more than enough. That's a secure foundation. Amen. And remember this, folks. Before Pentecost came, the crowds walked away. And you know how many there were left? 120 souls. It's my personal opinion that before we see revival breaking out in our churches, we will witness a major exodus from our gatherings. Looking at these scriptures, and seeing what the Lord revealed to me, this is what's going to happen. And we have a choice which side we're going to be on because when the fire comes, it separates. John the Baptist talks about this. He spoke of this baptism of fire and he said the following, Luke 3, verse 16, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. And fire. Don't forget the fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You see, the fire of God will cleanse and separate many, but many will also be offended at God's dealings with them and walk away. The Bible talks of the falling away before that day. We are seeing it. People get fed up with the church. People get fed up with the pastors. They get offended at this. They get offended at that. They don't like this. They don't like that. So they go from church to church, and sometimes they leave the church altogether. And not a few. Listen, not a few, many. Many, many. It takes commitment. It takes strong foundations to stand the test of time and to follow the Lord and serve Him with all of your heart. So I ask you a question today as we close, and we'll pick it up next week. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? What's going on in your life, in your heart? What is the most important thing in your life? What is bugging you the most? Have you ever sensed the fire of the Spirit of God bringing conviction upon you? I mean, nowadays hardly we get ever convicted. We just want to make people feel good. 
I recall when I stood, when I sat in the midst of a crowd for the first time I heard the gospel. My entire innermost being was shaken to the core. My heart was broken because I saw something. When the word was preached, I saw myself the way God saw me. And you know what I saw? It frightened me. I saw my rottenness to the core. I saw my selfishness. I saw how I hurt the people I loved the most. And I couldn't help it but break down and weep and weep. We hardly see any weeping today in the church. Hardly, hardly witness any conviction of sin. And I repented. My life has never been the same again. And after that initial repentance, there were times where the Lord confronted me with truth. And again, my heart broke. And I melted before him. Folks, Jesus said, I counsel you to buy gold, fine linen, and I self. All these three things can only be purchased through repentance. Only. You can't buy them with money. You can't buy them with doctorates. You can't buy them with positions. You can only buy them with genuine repentance. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I trust that I delivered that which you wanted me to deliver in the way that you wanted me to deliver it. And I pray that wherever this word goes, through technology, will touch and minister to your people's lives. Father, we pray and call out to you that you may grant us the gift of repentance. Your word says that repentance is a gift from God. But it is given only to those who have a willing heart. I pray that by your spirit you will bring us to a place where we truly examine our walk with you. We pray that by your spirit you will reveal to us the things that we need to correct the things that we need to adjust, either in our way of thinking or in our attitude and behavior, so that we may experience the refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And Father, our church desperately needs the refreshing of your presence. We need the endowment of power from on high, and we desperate as we cry out to you this day, help us, have mercy upon us, teach us, correct us, and as we sang, make me your vessel, O Lord. Do with me that which you will as I surrender my all to you by an act of my will this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, 
Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.